You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, who else but I, Garrett Ashley Mullet, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, for episode 344. We are very nearly to episode 350, obviously. Today is Monday, March 7th, 2022. I wake up this morning and I check the price of WTI crude, West Texas Intermediate Crude, at oilprice.com, and I see $121.30. Brent is up to $124.74 just for this morning, since the opening of markets. We're up 4.86% at this instant, $5.62 per barrel. The main headline at oilprice.com is oil prices break 130 as EU and U.S. allies consider ban on Russian crude. I have a very simple premise for this episode, a very simple subject. The question of what to do with Russian oil. A very simple question. What should we do? with Russian oil. Now you might hear that and you might think to yourself, that's not simple at all. Not when even just considering not buying Russian oil anymore sends the price of a barrel of oil up 5% within a very short span. The market's just opened. The price of a barrel of oil might go significantly higher even today. For all we know, if Russian oil is banned, who knows how high oil might get. So how can I say that it's a simple question what we should do with Russian oil? It's not simple at all. Look at the stakes. Well, no, I'm sorry. It's a simple question. It's been a simple question. The stakes have gone up because we answered that simple question wrongly. And it's time to answer that simple question rightly. It's not a theory that, depending on your adversaries and enemies, makes you weaker, makes you vulnerable to them. That's not a theory. That's a fact. That's a fact which conservatives in this country have been pointing out for ever. But let's just take the past 10 years. I've been working in the oil and gas industry for 10 years. For all 10 years of my time in this industry, starting out in North Dakota and Montana, now in Colorado, having worked all over the Rockies, having worked with oil and gas professionals up in Canada, down in Texas, all over the country. 
I know that this has been the position of conservatives for at least a decade because I have heard it again and again and again. And within that decade of working in oil and gas, there was a window of four years in which we had an administration in this country which recognized the simple answer to the simple question, should you be dependent on people who don't like your country very much, who don't like your politics very much, who don't like your worldview very much? Should you be dependent on enemies and adversaries overseas for your energy? We had an administration with a simple answer to the simple question. No. No. That's dumb. No. For four out of ten years, the restraint on our oil and gas industry, which is arbitrary, artificial, agenda-driven, selfish in many cases, motivated by a desire for profit on the part of those opposed, or else driven by wrong-headed notions that the end of the world will come sooner or later, depending on our consumption of fossil fuels. To the extent possible for four years, the efforts of people in this country to curtail oil and gas extraction, transportation, refinement, and usage made for energy independence on the part of the U.S. Because the efforts at curtailment were met with efforts at encouragement. Now, that isn't to say that the boot was entirely lifted off of the oil and gas industry, but to a very great extent, the boot was lifted off and we saw gas prices drop a great deal. We saw OPEC very concerned about its business model because America was driving the price down by producing its own oil and gas, which we have plenty of here in this country. We saw Russia in a much tamer mode of being, not just because of the energy policy, but also because rumor has it, the president for those four years threatened Putin, if you try a land grab on my watch, I'll hit Moscow. Don't think I won't. You try to take Ukraine, you try to take some other piece of territory, I will hit Moscow. And whether that was all there was to it, whether that rumor is true, we know at least that Putin did not try to take over the Ukraine during those four years. But he did just prior to those four years, and he is, again, right now, trying even harder. He is blasting apartment buildings, high-rises, hospitals, schools, power plants. Literally anything which might support the will of the Ukrainian people to continue fighting for independence, he is systematically trying to destroy. 
I think we do well to look at what's happening in the Ukraine as Americans and wonder whether bureaucratic decisions and lawfare and domestic policy from figures who, the closer you look at their past and their associations and where they and their family have gotten money, look more and more like Manchurian candidates. One should wonder whether bureaucratic intervention and lawfare here at home can work something like what Putin is doing in the Ukraine on a country. Can you blow up an economy without firing a single shot just by regulating and legislating what people are allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do? Seems to me self-evident that you can. Seems to me self-evident that when you come into office promising that you're going to make it very difficult for the oil and gas industry of your nation to operate, for instance, and then consequently also make moves to buy energy for your country from adversary nations, that doesn't square with saying that you are for your country's self-interest or that you are being tough on those adversaries. Boy, that's some kind of toughness when you buy their energy, when their economy runs primarily on the extraction of fossil fuels and the selling of fossil fuels abroad, when their war machine is funded by the economy that runs on the extraction and sale of fossil fuels abroad. You can't have it both ways. When I wake up as someone who works in the oil and gas industry and I see a 5% rise on the price of oil because they're considering, they haven't even done it, they're just considering banning Russian oil. That tells me all I need to know about how dependent we are right now, both in the U.S. and in Europe, both we and our allies, and everybody stuck between NATO and Russia and China on Russian oil. We're at least that dependent. And we'll find out how much more dependent we are when Russian oil is banned, which I anticipate it will be. It's really hard to undo that line of rhetoric when people start asking, why are we buying oil from Russia? How much money is Putin getting? Yes, we're sanctioning him, but how much money is he still getting anyways? How much money is Russia still getting anyways? Because we're all buying their oil? How seriously is he taking us or not? Given the fact that we're still buying oil from him, subsidizing his war effort, even as we invite Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, to speak with our lawmakers. Do we mean it? To be fair, I can understand why Democrats would be hostile to American oil and gas production. Their politics is based increasingly on 
buying votes through government handouts. In fact, their constituents are so sold on that being the model, and they can't imagine political organization apart from that model of bribing voters to vote for you, that when they see a Republican administration come into office and lift regulations, provide tax breaks for a industry which is vital to our economy and to our national security, to the national security of our allies, they call it handouts. No, handouts is when someone sends you a check every month, even though at the end of the year you effectively pay no taxes. Handouts is when you're waving a phone that you got for free, which everyone still calls by the president whose administration oversaw the deployment of these bribes. You wave your Obama phone, so excited that you got it, because now you know that your vote was well cast. That's what you voted for. That's what you got. A free phone. Congratulations. At what cost? Whether you realize it or not, it cost you a great deal. And I can understand why Democrats would be very concerned about taking the boot off of American oil and gas. Because American oil and gas being unleashed to produce our own energy leads to American men and women and their children having high-paying jobs, for one thing, which allow them to get off of welfare, more to the point. If they were on food food stamps and uh, PIP and WIC and government housing and all these other things, what need do they have for those programs if mom and dad are making $100,000 a year each working in the oil and gas industry? What need have we for the Democrat Party if the Democrat Party increasingly is predicated on dependence, making you dependence, and then oil and gas production, the high-paying jobs which oil and gas production supports means you don't need to be dependent on Democrats. Moreover, what happens to the business model of Democrats if they have campaigned and operated on the presumption that they could legislate what energy we get from whom, how, and when, and then strategically invest in companies that provide that energy in that way at that time and are ready as soon as the ink is dry. For that matter, as far as political opposition goes, not only does the oil and gas industry support Americans no longer being dependent on Democrats for their largesse on the public dime, high-paying wages in the oil and gas industry will more and more, Democrats know, lead to Americans who earned that by the sweat of their brow, 
and have now built up confidence on the notion that supply and demand runs an economy, hard work runs an economy, creativity, diligence run an economy, and they have some disposable income, they're going to donate to candidates who appreciate that, who write, interpret, and execute laws accordingly. Maybe they'll even run for office. You know, it was the farthest thing from my mind, just speaking personally, when 10 years ago I was considering going back to Montana from Southern Ohio. It was the farthest thing from my mind that getting a job in the oil and gas industry would lead to a great interest in politics. And yet, a couple of things came together for me personally. For one, because the supply and demand of available housing in the Williston Basin, western North Dakota, eastern Montana, was making it very difficult to find a place to live that was affordable, that was suitable for my wife and our four sons to come out and follow me. I stayed with my grandparents' mullet in Glendive, Montana, my hometown. I stayed with them and my Aunt Edie, who was taking care of them at the time. They've since passed. I saw quite a bit of my cousin Brent and his wife Natalie. My uncle Vic and Aunt Brenda would come in from time to time from Billings. My Uncle Merle and my Aunt Connie would come in from time to time from Bloomfield. But while I was staying with my grandparents' mullet for three months, Fox News was on every night. I'd get back from work. I was staying in a spare bedroom in the basement. But I'd eat some supper with them, and I'd sit and I'd watch Fox News with them. And without fail, there was always a discussion about whatever was on. Whatever the news was, whatever the commentary was, and we would talk back and forth about it. And I quickly realized I need to have an informed opinion if I'm not going to sound like an idiot to my grandparents and my aunt, or my aunts and my uncles, and my cousins. I'm out here working in this industry. I should inform myself. So I got Sirius XM. Once I started my job with ConocoPhillips as a lease operator, first in eastern Montana, Richland County, then later in McKenzie County, North Dakota, right around the Watford City area, Arnegard area. I got Sirius XM and I started listening to talk radio, conservative talk radio. And that was a mixed bag. It didn't take very many days for me to start feeling like, okay, this is talking points, and this is just a shtick for a lot of these guys. They have their shtick, and I don't care for most of the shticks. <laughs> Give me something more substantive, as much as I'm driving around by myself, especially in eastern Montana. There's nobody around. I might not see anybody for days Week on, week off, 12-hour shifts, usually thereabouts, 10, 12, sometimes more hours. Checking wells, making sure they were running, monitoring, doing maintenance, 
reporting production, troubleshooting, optimizing, that kind of stuff. So then I start working through the audiobooks at first the Glendive Public Library and then increasingly the Sydney Public Library. I made it through a pretty good chunk of both libraries worth of audiobooks. And I started educating myself on political philosophy and history and the biographies of noteworthy men. And I started really thinking hard. I might have overdone it trying to form my opinions so I would have something intelligent to say watching Fox News with my grandparents. I might have overdone it a little bit, but I don't think so, actually. Before we had come out to eastern Montana from southern Ohio, my wife and our four sons, our four oldest sons, Josiah, Eli, Solomon, Daniel, we lived in one of my dad's two houses in southern Ohio. And I didn't make enough money working full-time to be able to pay rent. So we lived there for free. I was making $10 an hour at my second-to-last job, and I was making $35,000 a year at my last job, commuting over an hour each way to Cincinnati, different little suburbs, different little pockets of Cincinnati, Milford, Batavia, at the last... And beggars could not be choosers. 35000 a year was the best I could do. While I was working those $10 an hour, $35,000 a year before tax jobs, I went back to school online, finished up my associate's degree, thought maybe that'll open up some doors, maybe that'll unlock better earning potential down the road. Because I just wanted to be able to provide for my family. I wasn't committed to any particular way of doing that. I just wanted it to be legal and for me to have a good conscience at the end of the day. Don't ask me to do dishonest, unscrupulous things that I would be ashamed to stand before my maker someday and try to explain. Otherwise, what it takes is what I'm going to do. Because I love my family. At the same time, not only were we living rent-free with my dad, we were on every government program we were told we qualified for. And it still was a struggle. I had health problems because I was stressed out about all of this, ashamed, embarrassed, humiliated even. I felt like I was working very hard. And I also felt like I was getting nowhere. And I also felt like I was very vulnerable because if I was working for an employer who knew what the unemployment rate was and knew how hungry I was to hold on to that job, they not only could, but they did take advantage of that desperation. And they acted in rude, exploitative ways, abusive ways. And so I'm just depressed. And then I hear from my Aunt Connie, God bless her, you should talk with your cousin Brent. He's been working in Williston for six to nine months now. He works in the oil and gas industry up here. There's a lot of jobs. They pay really well. You should really talk with him about what the opportunities are. 
And wouldn't you know it, I have a lot of cousins on my dad's side. I had never met nor talked with my cousin Brent. Actually, I think he might be coming through this area today, tomorrow, or the next day. He's got a Hydrovac business. I think he's got some parts he needs to get from Fort Morgan. So I might get a chance to meet up with him, or he might stop in. Haven't seen him for a couple of years now, but that's cool. I talk with my cousin Brent for the first time, and I say, hey, uh, Aunt Connie suggested I give you a call, and what's the skinny? And basically, the long and short of it was, there are a lot of jobs, and they pay really well, and you don't have to have five to ten years experience and a master's degree in order to get in and get started and you can kind of pick what it is that you want to do because there are so many jobs and so few people to take those jobs the wages are really good you can get advanced promoted very quickly if you work hard and are honest and do good work and don't have a substance abuse problem and you're not spending all your money on loose women and stupid toys if you apply yourself, you can really, really stand out because there's a lot of guys out here that are just milking it and they are not hardworking and they're not honest and you will stand out if you come out here. Not a week went by from that conversation and I was out there and I was very motivated. I shuttled railroad crews around night and day for a company called Coach America USA for a month and a half, two months, something like that. I did that. Actually, at first I was studying while doing that to get my CDL because I thought, well, maybe I'll just, I'll be a truck driver. My dad's a truck driver. That's what he does. That's what I'll do. I know truck drivers make pretty good money. I could do that. I've worked for trucking companies before. I had just been a freight broker doing logistics brokerage in Cincinnati. That was my last job in Ohio. I'd been a billing clerk for three years or so for R&L Carriers. When Lauren and I first got married, that was kind of my first real like husband and father full-time job. I did a few things here and there, helping install flooring and whatnot prior to that, but they didn't pan out quite like the billing clerk job did. The billing clerk job had benefits. I think, no, actually I don't think it did. Never mind. It had benefits in the sense of me getting to work from home. That was the last time I worked from home. Nearly 15 years ago at this point. But I got on with ConocoPhillips and I didn't have to go into truck driving. I became a lease operator. And all of a sudden, I've got every other week off. And all of a sudden, doors open up. And one of my dad's cousins passed away back in the late 80s, I think it was. But his widow, she had remarried. And her and her husband, they still owned the old farmstead on County Road 550, north of Glendive, up on the plateau, up on the table. And it was up for rent, $850 a month is a steal. It was in rough shape, but if I was willing to help clean it up from the previous renters having trashed it, literally using it as a dump for everybody in 
eastern Montana to dispose of tires and cars and various things. If I was willing to help clean it up, my family could live there. And we got a great deal. Five miles from our nearest neighbor, quiet as can be up there. We loved it. Small house, but otherwise great. All of a sudden, my family's coming out to join me. About 10 years ago, we started paying rent for the first time because we could afford to pay rent. Back then, $850 a month, that seemed like a lot. That seemed like a lot of money, particularly when I had been making $300 a week. Not nearly enough. All of a sudden, I'm given a truck, a pickup. (laughs) I don't have to drive this little 2008 Hyundai Elantra back and forth to work an hour one way on my own time, on my own dime. I pay for fuel and insurance and maintenance and all that. No, no. They give me a company truck with tools and everything. Here's a fuel card. We pay insurance. You make sure it can, you know, make sure you take it in. If it needs work done on it, let us know. But they would pay all of the maintenance. New tires? Great. This is where we go. Take it in. Tell them to put it on the ConocoPhillips account. Total game changer. All of a sudden, I've got health insurance, 401k, pension, dental, vision. Not that we had an abundance of places to go to get dentistry done or go to an eye doctor. Thus, our traveling back and forth to Billings, Montana. But all of a sudden, instead of somebody breathing down my neck in a factory, in a noisy, insufficiently lit factory with harsh lighting where there is lighting, people yelling at me, giving me ugly looks, setting me up to fail, then delivering the lethal blow to my time there. Rather than me working in a crowded office building where I'm sitting for eight to 10 hours a day and driving an hour each way on the phones, having two phones, two monitors and angry, irritable, dishonest people all around me. All of a sudden I'm in my home country, Eastern Montana, driving around a Ford F-250 loaded with tools, listening to conservative talk radio, listening to audiobooks, learning how to turn a wrench, learning how to type up production reports, learning how to inspect the work of roustabouts when they come out to do something I don't have the time or skills or tools to do. And 10 years on, I'm doing systems integration work for the I think, premier oil and gas company in Colorado. One of the biggest oil and gas companies in the world. My point being, I think Democrats are terrified that the American people would catch a vision of that and no longer need handouts from Democrat politicians. See, the trouble with these handouts is you think you're being given a free lunch. No, they're taking it out of your pocket before they hand it back to you after they've taken their cut. And then they are exploiting you 
by doing awful, ugly things that they know you'll make endless excuses for because you think that you need them. All the while, they're selling you out. And not content to sell you out, they go overseas and they sell whole other countries out to the highest bidder. Once they get really, really advanced in their game, they start selling out whole countries. If Biden had not killed the Keystone XL pipeline on day one, and if he had not bought and led the charge on buying Russian oil for the past year, I seriously doubt that Putin would be doing what he's doing in Ukraine. I hear conservatives and liberals and leftists. I hear Republicans and Democrats and libertarians and independents all unanimous. We hate what's happening in Ukraine, but also we don't think American soldiers should be sent over there. We don't think that American pilots should be getting in dogfights with Russian fighter pilots in the skies over Ukraine. We hate what Putin is doing to Ukraine, but we're not willing to fight a nuclear war with him over it. We hate what Xi is likely right about to do with Taiwan. And it's going to be as bad or worse. China doesn't want this to drag out when he goes for Taiwan the way that Putin going for Ukraine is dragging out. So he's going to hit a lot harder, a lot earlier, instead of the staggered entrance into the country. Overwhelm them to where resistance seems impossible, fruitless, and a dead end. The Ukrainian people are mobilized now because they think maybe, just maybe, we can pull this off. What if I told you American energy independence might prevent a conflict like this happening in the first place without us even having to fire a shot or make a single threat? What if I told you that our being energy independent was a very low-cost, high-reward strategy to deterring the bad actions of men like Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin? What if I told you that us producing our own energy actually will speed up the process of developing cost-effective, scalable alternative energy? Now think about it this way. Right now, <clears throat> we're homeschooling. I wrote a book on homeschooling, actually. I was homeschooled, and I wrote at the end of 2020 and published, self-published, and this is why we homeschool. I'm trying to get my sons and my daughter as exposed to technology as possible so that they are able to find profitable work in the economy that is and will be. So we have a 3D printer, for instance, that we got through MyTechHi. We don't have the disposable income for it because housing costs and grocery costs and medical costs and having eight children costs <laughs> mean that we do not have that kind of disposable income. I make good money, but not that good of money. And so we have MyTechHi. Well, the MyTechHi funds allowed us to build a computer 
and I say us to build because I incorporated them into the process of putting each piece of hardware into that computer, explained to them what each piece of computer hardware is and does, and had them put it in, and then we wired it all up, plugged it in, and voila, it works. They use it every day for school and also for gaming. But the point is, let's say we wanted to start researching more and more and more technological things, more science, technology, engineering, and math things, which we do, we want to. But let's suppose part of how I expose my children to these things is by having the disposable income necessary to buy things which they can then experiment with. What if in order for them to have the headspace to learn these things and to experiment and maybe come up with some alternative power generation or more efficient power usage devices and whatnot. What if in order for them to have the headspace, dad has to have the headspace to some extent. American energy independence helps to make that headspace possible. American energy dependence does not. It is not conducive. You don't have the luxury of experimenting with solar panels, for instance. Hey, guys, let's buy some solar panels, some cheap solar panels, and let's rig them up in the backyard. And let's see if we can get some Raspberry Pis. Let's see if we can rig up a trail camera, put a little antenna on the trail camera, have this thing broadcast back to the house. And I want you guys to do all the networking, and solar panels going to keep that Raspberry Pi charged through a battery. And we're just going to see if we can do this little simple project in the yard. It'll teach you how to program a Raspberry Pi, how to wire up a solar panel. We'll just find some little simple thing to learn, some little simple project. What is that going to cost? A couple hundred bucks? Okay. Now, where is that extra couple hundred bucks when oil prices shoot up a lot faster than my wages are going to? I make good wages. But when the money is being printed by a fiscally insane Democrat party, addicted to spending its way out of problems instead of owning its failures and being voted out of office, voting its constituencies largesse, when the price of energy is going to drive the cost of groceries, and electricity, and clothing, and the internet, <laughs> and literally everything, literally everything, up and up and up and up and up. Do I have a few hundred bucks to spare to experiment with things that are going to teach my children how to innovate with regards to energy in the future economy? No. No. A big government type person will say, well, the, the government will just do it, right? Yes, but the government doing it, the government just doing it all the time is how we got here. The left likes to say we're addicted to oil. You're addicted to government. As Burke would say, liberty is a good to be improved, not an evil to be lessened. So the simple 
answer to the simple question of should we be buying oil from Russia is that we should be producing our own oil and gas. We should be independent for our national security, for the national security of our allies, for the safety and security of everybody caught between us and Russia and China. We should be producing our own oil and gas. There's a domino effect to rising energy prices. It is a very, very dangerous place that we are to be playing the very, very dangerous game that we're playing right now. I don't think we should be sending NATO forces into Ukraine. I don't think we can afford World War III with Biden and Harris calling the shots. They can't even command the English language to see their way through a sentence during an interview with simple basic questions being asked. They are not fit to lead us in the biggest war in human history, which I think this will be. Russia's already promised. Sergei Lavrov has promised World War III will be nuclear. We know that it'll be cyber. China and Russia will both be using cyber warfare on us and our allies. They will be launching nukes. Now this administration negotiates with Iran to buy oil from them in exchange for us looking the other way, apparently, as they develop nukes, when that's the whole reason why we're not going to war with Russia. We could mop the floor with Russian forces, if not for Putin's threats of nuclear retaliation. So here's a great idea. Let's fast track Russia's ally, Iran, getting that same capability when their people are chanting in the street, death to America and death to Israel. Great idea. Great idea. Fantastic. Brilliant. What else you got? Because what I got, what I propose is we produce oil and gas here in this country. And if you come up with something that is scalable and more cost-effective, that's not fossil fuels, we can run the economy on that instead of fossil fuels, go for it. But the market will tell us when that's the case. You can't just abracadabra that. You can't wish cast that into being. And if we allow you to just stubbornly insist that, oh, no, yeah, we need to get over our addiction to oil and gas. If we allow you to stubbornly insist on that winning the day, that way of thinking winning the day, even when sticking to your guns means people are going to starve to death, struggle with substance abuse, they're going to turn to fentanyl and heroin and meth, just like way too many folks in Southern Ohio did because their fathers and their brothers and their husbands lost their jobs. They lost their jobs. They turned to drugs. Because that'll make it better too. It's a simple thing. It's a very, very simple thing that we should be dependent on no one, particularly when we have the capacity to be independent. We should produce our own. And if we do that, we don't have to fire a shot. Or at least if we do that, I say we don't start something with Russia that we're not prepared to actually engage with. And we're not. 
not with the Democrats having stymied efforts to put America first for four years, not with the apology tour by Obama the eight years prior to that, and not with this joker right now. He fiddles while Rome burns. He's the guy with the matches in his pocket. Please tell me again, your favorite ice cream. No. Let's produce our own. Let's make it here. Let's make our own energy here. You want to buy American? Let's start with buying American oil and gas. Buying American energy. How about we extract it here? We transport it in the most cost-effective, safest way, which is pipelines. We refine it here. Beginning to end. Full life cycle. Americans need those jobs. Period. It's time. I got to run, though. Speaking of, it's time for me to get to work. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.